Welcome to episode number 77 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Brian Nemhauser, the founder of Hawk Blogger in the Seahawks community. We talk to him about his Mariners fandom, creating the website, and a couple of other things in his career. We'll also profile free agent third baseman Matt Chapman. Before we start the show, your reminder that if you're listening to our podcast, make sure to download, follow the show, and leave us a review wherever you get your audio podcasts. Those five-star reviews and downloads help us out a bunch. So if you take a few extra seconds to do that, it really does help us out. Watch on YouTube too. Full video side of the podcast is there. You can go like, comment, subscribe on YouTube and follow us on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Tuesday, November 28th, and the biggest storyline, it seems like, Lyle, weekend after weekend for the Seattle Mariners is Blake Snell going out on his own and stirring up the pot in the Mariners community. Man, have we ever, ever seen a free agent want to play for the Mariners this badly, let alone a blue chip free agent like this? He literally told Mike Tirico on NBC on Thursday night for that Seahawks Thanksgiving game, I want to sign in Seattle. He told Mike Tirico, if they're saying it on Sunday night football in front of a crowd of 35 million people watching in their homes across the country, then damn, they better fucking sign him. <laughs> I'll tell you what, as a fan... I'm itching over here saying, when's he going to sign? When's he going to sign? Are they going to get this deal done? As two people who run social media accounts for this podcast, it can drag out a little longer because I'll tell you what, I don't know much about the algorithms on Instagram or TikTok. They seem to love Blake Snell and they love him during the off season. It's, and it's not a slight increase. It is a monumental increase whenever we mention Blake Snell. So Lyle, say Blake Snell a couple more times just for the algorithm's sake. Blake Snell. Yeah, maybe it's maybe if we say Blake Snell three times, kind of like saying Bloody Mary three times, it'll actually happen. Then I'll just sign with the Mariners. So Blake Snell, Blake Snell, Blake Snell. There we there go. There we go. I got to say, like you said, if, if he's telling Sunday Night Football to please put this on the air and put pressure <laughs> on the Mariners, and then he's going around to the student section at the Apple Cup saying, come get me, come get me, is almost shades of Earl Thomas. Remember when he walked over to the Cowboys locker room all those years ago and said that? Like, that's what it feels like. I am, I have never seen this for the Mariners where it is so clear cut in front of them that this free agent is begging you to sign him. Yet here we sit. Here we sit. Like, I know there's some rumors now this week about Yamamoto and the Mariners may be tuned in on him and they may be waiting to see what he does. But man, that is a big risk for a guy that I'll put it a 5% chance to sign in Seattle. When, like you've talked about, you've got Blake Snell who is just waiting to sign here. And he took a bit nice picture with friend of the pod, Softy. I wonder what he told Softy. We were, I think we were sitting here trying to figure it out of like, was Softy going to like dig in and be like, so like, what have they, what have they offered you? So I think, well, I think we, me and you need to text our sources about this and see if we can dig up anything and report exclusively here on the pod. Yeah, that is our next step as a podcast, I guess, is start getting sources and breaking news and leaking information on here. So yeah, let's let's send Softy a text saying, hey, so did you did you give him a hard time or what? 
actually knowing softy knowing softy the the answer to that is and the question to that is rhetorical it's yes did he lay out the contract terms the Mariners have offered? It's like, yep, the Mariners have only offered me so far uh, three for $60 million, and I laughed at them. But I still <laughs> want to sign here because I really, really want to pitch here. I mean, has there ever – there has literally, Lyle, as, it, as these weeks go by, there has never been anybody in my lifetime that has wanted to play on the Seattle Mariners this much. Nobody. It's not even close. Could you pull the standard baseball player in Major League Baseball as like – do you want to play in Seattle? You know what they're saying? <laughs> no. Yeah. And Blake you know Snell is out here saying, the worst franchise in baseball, please sign me. You know why Robinson Cano signed here all those years ago in 2014? Because the Mariners way overpaid the rest of the market. That's why he came here. He wasn't itching to come to Seattle. He wanted his money. Like Blake Snell is saying, not only do I just desperately want to come home and play for the M's. No, I'll take a discount. I'll take a hometown discount to play for the only franchise in baseball to never make the World Series. Yet we still sit here and and dead silent. Pin drops. There's there's nothing yet. I can't wait for the story to come out after this offseason is over that they didn't even offer him a deal. That would <laughs> that would I mean that would just for how things have been working right now in terms of on brandness, that would that would certainly work. This fan base, especially on social media, has been a ticking time bomb since the offseason started, really since the end of season press conference started. And I'd say time is running out and out and out. And if Blake Snell is not a Mariner on the fact that and, and assuming on the fact that Otani and Yamamoto sign other places, if on top of that, Blake Snell is not a Mariner. That might be what puts this fan base over the top and just has them explode. Because I can tell you what, the discourse on social media, the day he signs, if it's not here, is going to be ridiculous. The only acceptable reason that Blake Snell does not sign here is if the Mariners sign Yamamoto. Because then you and I will agree, okay, a 25-year-old potential ace in your rotation. It, it, like, sorry, Blake, appreciate it. But he gave it, he said yes, so we, we said that. That's it. That's the only reason that it's acceptable for Blake Snell not to be a Seattle Mariner in 2024. Or if they sign Shohei, I'll put that there too. Sure, sure, that's fine, yes. So the, yeah. two, the two Japanese superstars, if not, Blake Snell should be, should be wearing a Mariner's uniform next season. He better be. Man, I'll tell you what, we're just going to wait for this to go by because I think people's blood pressures are only rising. I, I, I'm just sitting here waiting to see what happens because I, I, I'm – Frankly, a little baffled he's not signed here already, but hopefully things swing in the Mariners' favor. Because again, if not, man, it's going to be hell on social media. Yeah, we're so we're guessing the market's going to heat up here over the next week and a half a little bit. Winter meetings are next week, right? Do you know the exact days? What are the exact days of winter meetings? Yeah, it. I think it starts this Sunday, I believe, because we've we've been before a little behind. Yeah, the we've been. Yeah, I was going to say we've been. You remember that car ride? <laughs> yeah, so TJ and I went to the winter meetings when we were seniors in college because we were looking to get a job in minor league baseball that year. Now, that was before COVID shut everything down, and we thought there would still actually be jobs. And when we went, it was a five-hour car ride from Tempe to San Diego. And if I'm remembering the dates right, we got there early Sunday morning, and it was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I believe we left on that Wednesday. Correct, maybe yeah. Thursday. It so was, a, I, yeah. I think think it's it's happening this upcoming Sunday and if it's not this Sunday it's 
No, no, no. It is this Sunday because it's it'll be December third. Yeah, so it's yeah. starting up here this Sunday. I vividly remember the the overnight car ride. We didn't just drive; we overnighted there <laughs> from from Phoenix to San Diego just so we didn't have to spend an extra night of hotel money. And I still have the photos saved of my phone of us eating at Denny's at five in the morning, not having barely slept at all. And I don't think anything encapsulates what the grind of minor league baseball or getting into minor league baseball is more than that right there. (laughs) Nothing else was open. Check-in and the first meetings for the minor league convention, which is what we were going to, was at like eight o'clock. So we said, okay, what's open? There was a Denny's open not that far from the convention center in San Diego where we had to go. And that's what we did. We had to get something to eat. And all for that, only to get to the winter meetings and learn, oh, these minor league teams really only hire people that are interested in full season jobs because we need somebody in March. It's like, oh, you guys graduate in June or or May? Yeah, that's not going to be possible. And again, that was before COVID shut everything down too. Yeah. I think there was maybe three jobs. Three. Maybe. Yeah. Only four <laughs> TJ to never step foot in minor league baseball. I spent one season in minor league baseball a couple years after the winter meetings, and I said, yeah, that might be it for me in the minors. I do love excuses to go to San Diego, though. I'm not going to complain about that. It was fun. The weather was nice. And it was, you know, that was the first time we met Ryan Divish and planted the seed to eventually have him on here. Oh, the first thing Divish said when we saw him is, oh, man, I'm so glad it's in San Diego this year other than that dump in Orlando because now I can actually <laughs> go out and gas lamp and like drink when all this is over. Yeah, and also probably a good thing it's not in Vegas. So I'm not like I don't stumble into news breaks at four in the morning. I've lost four grand <laughs> and I have to type up a story. <laughs> and he was probably uh. exaggerating a little bit with, with the money thing. But again, he he was like, yeah, this is probably a good location for it. Our beat writer right there. Our fucking beat writer. Okay, we've got some Matt Chapman stuff to talk about. But before we do that, let's talk about our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland is the best spot to go in the area if you want to hang out with your friends, watch sports, get some great drinks, and eat some great food. If you head over there, they've got some awesome pizza Make sure to check it out. There's a full food menu, full drink menu, but we certainly recommend the pizza a bunch. And with those drinks, if you're there during the select hours of happy hour, you can get some awesome deals. Those happy hours are Monday through Friday. It's from 2 to 6 p.m. It features $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. Go watch some sports with your friends. Hang out. Eat. Drink some great drinks over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Okay, so Matt Chapman, only fitting, Eugenio Suarez gets traded about a week ago. We're naturally sitting here thinking, all right, what are they going to do now? How are they going to go replace them? Luis Urias cannot be your opening day third baseman. Where is everybody's mind naturally going? Well, it's going to the top free agent third baseman on the market. That would be Matt Chapman, who has been one of the best defenders in baseball for a prolonged period of his career. We know he has some big pop. But it's not as much of a slam dunk as you think. I don't want to put it so bluntly, but Matt Chapman is Eugenio Suarez with a higher war. That's what he is. That is his profile, Lyle. Plain and simple, I don't think this is the guy that the Mariners got rid of Eugenio Suarez for. I just don't. I think the two are too similar, and Chapman's going to cost way more than Eugenio will. 
the projections for Matt Chapman. Uh, are you ready to stomach this? Six for 150. It's like, <laughs> first of all, I, I don't think the Mariners would sign most free agents to a six for, for 150, judging how the, of their spending habits. I certainly don't think Matt Chapman, as he is, especially post-2020, is worth six for 150. Don't get me wrong, like Matt Chapman, when he was 25 and 26 years old in the 2018 and 2019 season with the Oakland Athletics, oh my God, I would have given that dude a 10-year contract instantaneously. We're talking about a strikeout rate that was anywhere from 21 to 23%. He would walk about 10% of the time, but he'd also rack up about six war. He was a significantly above average offensive player. Uh, 125 plus one WRC plus in both those seasons with platinum glove defense at third checked all the boxes you could have wanted as a star third baseman. The pandemic season happens. He has a couple of injuries. I think he had a hip injury and then he hasn't stopped striking out since it's been a real issue and it's deteriorated his value a bunch. He strikes out more than Gino has at some points. Matt Chapman, again, I know it was a short season, but we're talking about a guy who in 2020 struck out, get ready for this, 35% of the time. And then the following year in a full season in 2021, it was 32.5% of the time. This guy has just been a strikeout machine left and right at different points of his career. So we can talk about his offense. We can talk about his defense. We're going to get into all of it. But if you just want to start first with this, the punch outs, it may start and finish right there for the Mariners. They may look at his strikeouts and strikeout rate and say, yep, that's enough for us to write him off because we just got rid of Gino. We got rid of Teo. We're trying to cut down on strikeouts. That's not the guy we're bringing in to replace a Eugenio Suarez, a guy who strikes out almost as much, if not often more than Gino. In theory, you could say, oh, his strikeouts while are trending down. He went from 35% in 2020 to 32.5%, a real big decrease in 2021, and which was his worst offensive season as a pro. And then it went down to 27 in 2022 and a tick up to 20, uh, 28 in 2023. I mean, that's not a promising enough trend to sell you on that. If I'm selling you on Matt Chapman, I'm going to say overall net, we like to use war. He's a very valuable player by war. I mean, this dude is worth at least three and a half wins every full season of his big league career sans his rookie season and his rookie season in 80 games. He was worth two and a half wins value, 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 value. You stick Matt Chapman on the Mariners this past season. He's the third most valuable member of, uh, of that, uh, of that, uh, of that team. But the problem is so much of it comes from his defense and the Mariners, as much as they'd like some good defense need a little bit more of their offense. I will give this to his offense though, Lyle, He's been pretty consistent offensively. In, in all the full seasons of his career, outside of 2021, which was his worst season with a 101 WRC+, plus, he's above 110 every season. That's consistency, even though it's not how you would like. He still had a 110 WRC+, plus in 2023. That was pretty much carried by an April where he had a 216 WRC+, plus, and then outside of that had an 84. So it's overall for the season, he gave you a 110 but most of the production was put up in one one month. He had a good July as well before he got hurt in August. But a lot was carried by a small sample size. And then over the larger portions of the season was not simply not good enough at the plate. So we're diving into his offense. We'll get to his defense here in a couple minutes. But to your point, in April, he was the MVP. 
He had another great month in July. Like you just said, he had a 900 OPS that month. But again, really, really highlighting here, April. Because April, you could argue through one month, he was the MVP of the American League. The other four months of the year, he was awful. His OPS sat between 500 and 600. It was somewhere in that range the other four months of the season. He's super streaky. And the Mariners, I think, need a little more consistency than that. We saw what happened when Julio couldn't get it going early in the season. The whole offense lagged as a result. They need a little bit more consistency than that. Because that right there, what Matt Chapman did, that's kind of what Teoscar Hernandez did. What Chapman did was probably a little bit more elevated. But it was two great months and four months where he really struggled. And I think the Mariners are, would prefer to steer clear of something like that and have a little bit more consistency on a daily basis. So the injuries are a factor here with Matt Chapman. I mentioned the injuries before he got traded to Toronto, which led to his down 2021 season. So this past season in 23, he had a finger injury in August, which many think was a big reason for his slump towards the end of the season after he, when he was coming off that great July and like, okay, he's going to build on it, but then he hurts his finger and he can never swing the same after that. You can believe that. You can choose not to believe it. And there is a fact that Matt Chapman's not getting any younger and potentially not getting any better on offense and a swing and miss is not going to get any better on offense. So um, it's uh, take that as you will. There is that on top of, off on top of his swing and miss offensive profile. His profile is fascinating because when you look at his peripherals, I mean, baseball savant loves the guy. When you, when you look at his hard hit profile, he squares the ball up as hard as just about anybody in the league. I mean, he barrels the hell out of baseballs. And if you want to dive even deeper on it, when you talk about his savant stuff, like hard hit percentage, he was in the 100th percentile this past year. Like he really squares the ball up. But it hasn't really led to on-field results. So he has a lot of red on his profile on Savant. But you talked about his WRC Plus, and, and you said, oh, well, he's, he's consistent. He's usually around 110. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Does it concern you at all that he hasn't put up a 120 WRC Plus or better since the year of 2020? Because that, that doesn't feel like a guy you pay $150 bucks to when you need help on offense. Yeah, for his price tag, yes. Absolutely. And what's also concerning is his quality of contact for having the amazing exit velocity, barrel percentage, and hard hit rate. His quality of contact is slightly above middling, 65th percentile. You would expect that to be in the 80th or higher with all of those numbers. And you're, whenever you're barreling a baseball, you're hitting it as hard as humanly possible. But the, the case is his quality of contact is overall by ex-WOBA, not good or not great. It's, it's 65th percentile is above average. That's where we're going to lay that. But then you look at his batting run value of how Savant tries to measure that. It's below average. It's in the 40th percentile. It, for someone who's supposed to have amazing batting ball, batted ball data, that doesn't make too much sense. And he weirdly struggles with fastballs too. Most of his career, he is not squared up four seamers, which is a little odd for a guy that hits so many homers. But yeah, there are things to be concerned about in his profile too. And again, it hasn't really led to the on-field results you want over the last few years because he, he's he's been good. I don't think he's been good enough to warrant the contract that him and Scott Boris are going to be asking for. That's the other part about this, right? Knowing how Scott Boris often manipulates markets, here's what he's going to do. He's going to wait till Otani signs. He's going to tell Cody Bellinger, we're waiting till Otani signs. Then he'll invest most of his time into Cody. And once Cody signs, who becomes the third best bat on the market in most eyes? It's Matt Chapman. 
So then Scott Boris will say, now we get going with you, buddy. And now we're going to up your price tag to all the desperate teams that are looking for bats. And what do the Mariners not do? They don't get in bidding wars. And they don't get in bidding wars for players like him. So I don't think this makes a whole lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Between the offensive profile we've highlighted so far, between Boris being his agent, between the contract he's going to probably demand... There's there's reason to be skeptical. There's a, there's reasons to be skeptical. Like again, if he was going to get five for ninety, I'd say great, sign me right up. That's not what he's going to get. He would get five for ninety if he was an average defender. The problem is he's not an average defender. He is an elite defender. That's why his WAR is so high every single season. So the teams are going to pay for the fact he plays great defense as well, even if. He's going to be inconsistent in the lineup. You know that defense is going to be good. This dude has 92 defensive runs saved for his career. Plus, in every single season, he's a monster at third. What does it say, though, that Gino was 10% better than him in terms of outs above average this past year? Like Gino was in the 97th percentile of OAA, and Chapman was 87th. Defense is so hard to measure, because like, how many opportunities a game do those two get? Four or five? Can you truly yeah. measure can you truly measure defense on five opportunities? Not really. You need six, seven, eight hundred opportunities, and you might get that in a season, you might not. Yeah. I mean, look, defensive metrics are a little bit flawed. I like them because it gives you more ways than it ever has to measure defenders, which is why back in the nineties and early two thousands, people thought, Oh, Derek Jeter can make a jump throw. He's a great defender. And then it turns out the numbers come out and it's like, Oh, he's actually maybe the worst defender to ever play this game where I saw you, you work at, that in. Okay. Respect. Respect. Come on, you dog. had, you had to work that in. If, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, actually, maybe we've never mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, Derek, De- Derek Jeter's defense is not good objectively. Like he had a hundred negative 162 defensive runs saved for his career. Like he was not a good defender. It's not even an argument. Hall of Famer, first ballot. He deserved it. Not a good defender. Okay. But with outs above average, with defensive runs saved, even with UZR, it's not perfect because you're right. You only get so many opportunities, but it does give you some measuring stick to measure defense more than it ever did before. So you're right. It can vary from time to time. And I will say I'm handpicking a little bit here because what I was going to get to next is when you look at DRS and UZR, Chapman blew Gino out of the water this year in those two categories. So, yeah. And really, what's the difference in like 10 percentile points of defense? Maybe not that much. And look... Matt Chapman's an incredible defender. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. We know that. Anybody who watches baseball knows that. I'm just pointing one thing out saying, oh, that's interesting. Just more of the fact that if the Mariners are going to get rid of that guy in Geno and replace him with Chapman, maybe the defense takes a step up. How much, though? Uh, marginally. Right. Pretty marginally, and it would, and it would be a very a significantly exp- more expensive upgrade. It would have been nine million dollars for Gino this upcoming season if he stayed on the roster. For Matt Chapman, it's going to be twenty five million according to the projections. Again, six for one fifty is what MLB trade rumors pro- uh, projected. The Blue Jays did try and extend him somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred million dollars in four to five seasons during the season. And he smartly turned it down because I think he's going to get way more than that this offseason. I don't think he's a fit for the Mariners. I don't think the Mariners would offer him that contract. He's a plus 30. And would he even want to sign in Seattle? I'm going to say probably not. I think the money can be better used elsewhere. And I think they can fill the third base position a little bit better. 
maybe not to the star level that Matt Chapman is, but just in terms of bang for your buck, I'm not sure $150 million is worth it. Here's an idea. I had an epiphany about this today. I figured I'd throw it out to you while we're sitting here talking about potential third base fits. I'm not saying this is your number one option. Again, if you could go trade for somebody like Isak Paredes, who maybe we'll talk about on Friday or sign a couple guys that won't cost as much like Jamer, sure. But here's another idea I kind of had. Like, would they give Justin Turner a one-year deal to play third? And then you can use the money in better play, like in other places. Do you think Justin Turner's enough of an upgrade over what you currently have? This version of Justin Turner? Not defensively, but offensively, probably. I mean, yeah, the idea is, is fine. Would Jerry do it? Do you think? If it's like a one-year deal, I figure I, I feel like they might take a chance. And again, if I know we've joked about it before here on the pod, but if they're serious about trying to go after Munitaka Murakami next year, there's your one-year stopgap. Maybe you give Turner a two-year deal. He could DH a little bit in the final year of that contract, and then you're not hampered down in any way, shape, or form from going after Murakami. He's what, 36? Actually, I think he's older than that. He may be 38 now. Oh, he's man. Old. He's old. Well... If he can hit, then I'd be in for, in for it. But once you get around that age, you you never you never know what, when that offensive profile is gonna gonna hit the shitter. So that's uh, it. It has been an option though. Like I, you just pointed it out. I've seen some other people float it out there as as offensive upgrades at third base. But you wonder about is his offense gonna fall off? Is he gonna be durable? Remember, Gino was very durable this past season. Is Justin Turner going to be durable at age 38? You probably have to give him some DH days. Maybe that's when Urias starts playing a little bit of third base. Yeah, he'd probably you'd probably have to get him off his feet a little bit. So, is there any way we can speed up time for Murakami so we can get him as a free agent now? Oh, that'd be amazing. Like, I've, I've been going down the rabbit hole of of space time stuff when I when I sit in bed and I scroll on TikTok, and I know you can send if you send a person, for example, to like a black hole, their clock speeds up. Actually, I can't I can't remember which way it is around. Um, if the people on Earth, no, I think the people on Earth actually age faster. So we'll leave him alone on Earth. I'll take the rest of us. We go off to a black hole. Eight. Um. We'll go up there for like two seconds, come back down. He'll be 25 and he can sign as a free agent. That was very complicated um, and off topic, but just, just a suggestion, I say, to, to make a better Mariners offseason. No, it's not off topic at all. We want, we want Murakami. What do you want us to say? We're a year away from it, but we want the guys. So cook up any scenarios you can cook up. Yeah, I have seen some people throw the Justin Turner thing out there. I think I think Luke Arkins threw it out there a couple times, so I've seen him talk about it. I've seen a couple other people talk about it. But it, it is just an idea that if you invest a lot of money in, say, an outfielder and a DH, and then maybe all of a sudden you want to go a little bit of the more cost-effective side, that's just another option. I'm not saying bank in some six-win season for Justin Turner. Of course, that's not going to happen. But it, it just might be an idea for a guy who could help the offense a little bit. Well, if he's unsigned later on in this offseason, we can do a, a deeper dive into Justin Turner. And if the Mariners still have a hole at third base, we can uh, we can investigate. I have a sneaking feeling they might have a hole at third base. Oh, I don't know, until opening day? Hmm. By our standards? I did huh? not like what Daniel Kramer wrote today, by the way, when he uh when he when he no he mentioned the the notion of of Luis Urias as the uh, starting third baseman on opening day. So no bueno. I, I really- I really hope that's not the case. I really, really hope that's not the case. 
Well, I guess we're going to find out, Lyle. Winter meetings are coming up, Jerry. Make it happen. Make something happen. Before we get to Brian Nemhauser, a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And it's an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. So we had a wonderful conversation with Brian Nemhauser. Before we recorded this, he is the owner and creator of Hawk Blogger. People know him more in the Seahawks community. But as I stated, Lyle, he is a Seattle sports personality. He is a Mariners fan. So it was good to get to explore those factions of his life here on this podcast in sort of a different perspective. We've tried to stretch out our types of guests a little bit so far this offseason. Like Paul Sylvie, not the world's biggest baseball guy, but still an awesome conversation. Knows baseball, was happy to talk about baseball and his career. So somebody like him, we may try to mix in a couple other people of that sort throughout the offseason too that are just interesting people to talk to. I thought Brian was the same way. He's a Mariners fan. He certainly is keeping up to date with the team always. But he is a Seattle sports personality, and he's an interesting story. So that's what we like to do on this podcast. If people are interesting and they're good talkers, we like to have them on and talk to them about those things. So that's what we did with Brian, and we really enjoyed it. So let's get to that conversation now with Brian Nemhauser. All right, we've got Brian Nemhauser on with us, founder of Hawk Blogger, also host of the Real Hawk Talk podcast, and a Mariners fan at that. The reason we're having him on the show today. So, Brian, we appreciate you coming on. I've got to say, after the Gino trade, a Eugenio Suarez, I should say, that <laughs> Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I really couldn't think of a better way for you to cleanse it all than going to that Seahawks game Thursday night. I mean, what a perfect way to wipe the memories away with with maybe some more upbeat, upbeat memories. Am I right? Wow. Yeah, that was a rough game. Rough game on <laughs> Thursday for the Hawks. And... Uh, I don't know where you guys are on the Eugenio trade, but that was not as much of a low point for me as I think a lot of other fans. I actually was kind of for it, so didn't feel the need to to wipe the slate clean as much. But the Seahawks did nothing, nothing to help other than to occupy my mind with bad negative uh, thoughts. <laughs> I'll say they did probably did distract you more than that. We'll get into your your thoughts on the Geno trade here in a second, but. You know, the the negativity, I would say, spewing out of that is probably more, especially in your world, than I would say the Geno trade in, even in like the most negative parts of, of online Mariners fans. You're talking about specifically at the Seahawks losing to the 49ers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that was... 
it was it was this weird phenomenon that happens in sports a lot where everybody you talk to Mariners Seahawks fans ahead of that were convinced the Seahawks were going to get beaten and were most worried about them getting embarrassed and then when it actually happens it's like oh my god this team is so much worse than I thought and I was like no it's pretty much exactly what you thought it just sucks to watch it so yeah you know it's it's I don't think any fan likes watching validation that their team is not that good and I think that's part of why people are so frustrated about the Mariners situation is unlike the the Seahawks where you can basically say there's not other than Devin Witherspoon there's not a lot of blue chip players and young prospects on that team for the Mariners you have what could be the best player in all of baseball on your team who's under club control and you've got a ball club that's not doing anywhere near enough to take advantage of that and honestly I think that's more maddening so here's where we kind of stand on the Suarez trade and you can give us your two senses we understand what they're doing in the sense of they're trying to cut down on strikeouts they want to get on base more I think it killed them at points last year between Teo between Gino between a couple others but I think where we have our reservations all of a sudden is are they going to replace it and then some because we've kind of highlighted on some past podcasts now we think they've got to get basically three bats now between DH, third base, and maybe an outfield bat. So we want to hear your thoughts, but I guess just to kind of tie it all in, we get the idea of cutting down the strikeouts. It's just, are they going to actually replace it well? It's a totally fair question. And I think all skepticism around the Mariners moves, especially when it comes to bats, is is absolutely uh, reasonable. I guess the way I look at it is there seemed to be a lot of evidence of Gino deteriorating behind like as a batter and his his power numbers had declined quite a bit and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of reason to think they're going to turn around especially in the ballpark that he's playing in in Seattle and so he's an excellent defensive uh, third baseman that's probably the harder part to replace in my mind but that that guy struck out a lot he was not a guy, I mean, he, he had a number of clutch hits, but in general, he's not a guy that you could count on to make contact in those situations. Your star player, as of now, is a high strikeout player and, and struck out a ton last year, especially in clutch situations. So I just think you got to surround him with more contact hitters, tougher outs, uh, so that pitchers don't have a chance to really pitch around him the way I think they're able to now. So... I guess it's kind of like a poker hand anytime you're building a roster, whether it's in any pro sport. Do you, you know, how many of your cards do you keep and how many do you you throw back and, and get new ones? And Gino, for me as a guy, it was pretty easy to say, I love cheering for you, love you as a guy. Time to see if we can do better, whatever that looks like. I'd rather have the void and have them try to fill it. I think you guys are making a totally fair point that until they've done that, they might have just downgraded, which would be even worse. What is on your to-do this offseason? Do you have anything specific in mind? I mean, outside of Shohei, I think we we all collectively want Shohei, unless unless you're on the, the no train, in which case that's a, that's a totally different question. No. I mean, I, I think the Otani thing for me is... The, what would piss me off is if the Mariners didn't make a real effort to sign him. And I think what a real effort to sign him looks like is not necessarily offering the most money, but offering him the most control. So if you offer him comparable money, but he can get out of the contract next year, 
and every year after that. Uh, I think that's an interesting way to approach it. And I think that that could be something that's appealing to him where you give the player a ton of opportunity and you're taking a risk that every year you're going to have to earn that he wants to stick with you. I think that's your, your only leverage point. And then potentially, I don't know how he feels about, is it Yamamoto who's coming over the, the mm-hmm. pitcher? I don't know if they have any relationship, but if there's something where the Mariners feel like they can bring him in and Otani's interested in playing with him, great. Um, you know, so I think they should obviously make a play there. I'm not holding out a lot of hope that anything is going to happen. <laughs> and so then it becomes, I think you got to acquire the best players you can and then use that to acquire players probably through trade. So like, I don't, Blake Snell, I know he wants to come play here, but if like adding a pitcher of some sort, I can get behind. If that then means you are more comfortable offloading some of your higher end pitching to get like a better bat from uh, another team. So uh, my priorities, I I guess the simple way of saying it is ultimately it is add as much, you know, high quality hitting to this team as possible. Um, And I don't really care how they do it, Um, whether it's I think they're going to have to spend some money to do it, but it might not be directly spent on the batter. Um, it might be through a trade. Are you okay with Blake Snell? Sounded sounded like a, just a tiny bit of hesitancy. I, I so I I really like Blake Snell, like the local story, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't. I would be more excited about Yamamoto than I would be about Blake Snell for sure. I I, I think that Blake Snell has had some ups and downs, and his durability and health wise has been questionable and. He's had some Cy Young seasons and then he's had some number three in the rotation kind of, or, you know, sometimes maybe even four, but really at least three. And I feel like they, they signed Robbie Ray after a Cy Young and gave him a bunch of money. I was not, I'm not a Robbie Ray guy. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of his in, at all. And I am a little concerned they could repeat history and sign like another guy to big money who's not really a top of the rotation player. And then, you know, they trade away a, a, a good, maybe they trade away like a, a quality starter that could be top of rotation and get back a mediocre hitter. And I'm like, ah, like, I don't know. So that, that's that's my concern about the Blake Snell piece. Where are you guys on him? So I think Yamamoto would probably be higher on the list than Snell just between age, pure stuff, et cetera. But I think it's also the idea of, Assuming Yamamoto doesn't choose to sign here, because there have been a lot of reports that he wants to play in a big market. If that's the case, and you sign Blake Snell, who sounds like he would probably take somewhat of a hometown discount to play here, you only need him to be about your three starter, right? Behind Castillo and Kirby. And then that sets you up to make a trade with one of your young arms to get a bat. And then all of a sudden you're set up much better. So I think that's kind of where I stand with it. It's not just the Snell coming home thing. It's you're positioning yourselves to get more bats and not totally sustain the loss of a young pitcher. There's also not a laundry list of free agents lining up to come play in Seattle. So when there <laughs> is an opportunity to sign a potential, doesn't have to be every year, but say he signs a five-year deal in three of the years, he's a blue chip talent. I think you got to take the risk and you got to do it. Because if you don't, you're passing on the one, I would say, obvious free agent opportunity you need to take where all it takes is writing a check and not... And not uh, not giving up pieces on your roster. I think they should do it. 
it it doesn't have to be above Yamamoto, but in terms of what's realistic, he seems like he's already at the negotiating table with his with his offer there, and he's waiting for the Mariners to show up on that side. So I feel like that. it's uh yeah yeah that makes sense. I I will say Brian, I love your Otani Yamamoto idea of oh do the two have a connection? Do they play together? Your next step is you have to walk down to John Stanton's office and say hey. Can you fork up $600 million this offseason? Thanks. Look, I have no I have no sympathy whatsoever for the Mariners' ownership. And I think that there's been enough. You know, this is probably well-worn, so we don't have to go through it unless you want to. But sure. I think an ownership's responsibility is... is to put the best possible team on the field to win championships. And even if you're a business person and you want to, like you're looking at this as an investment, fine. But the way that you make money on a sports franchise is when you sell it. And the the way you increase the value is by having that sports franchise gain market share and gain uh attraction through winning most of the time. And so this whole concept the Mariners ownership has of essentially running at a strong profitability model every year, I think is antithetical to to winning in general. And I think they also saved a ton of money for a couple of years when they were going through the rebuild. So Ultimately, I don't have any doubt that they would end up making that money back. And the reality is they just might not have the the pockets deep enough to, you know, go in a deficit to help that happen or not, you know, not having the risk tolerance or whatever it is. And if that's the case, then sell the damn team. Like there's got to be somebody else who actually has the right attitude about what it means to be an owner of a, a baseball team. I will say it is pretty remarkable how different the two ownership groups are on that share the that share the same street. Just because, look, the Seahawks have been far from perfect over the last five, six years, whatever you want to call it. But when you look at the moves they've made, like they are trying, and the trades they've made, they are trying. Like you can argue the optics of the Jamal Adams trade, right? Of course, but they were trying the Leonard Williams trade. They're trying the Dwayne Brown trade. Like, like they're making moves to try to get the team over the top and doing the best that they can. And they made some moves in free agency too. Like the Mariners haven't exactly been able to say the same story of we are going and getting blue chip players and trying to win. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was Paul Allen and it wasn't just Paul Allen for the Seahawks. Paul Allen's first love was basketball. And as a trailblazers fan, I got to see where there wasn't a salary cap that this guy was paying the highest luxury tax of any owner. And he didn't care. You know, he signed Scottie Pippen. He does all these things that that he wanted to try to get the best basketball team to win a championship. That's what that was what he wanted. And where he was able to inject money into the Seahawks to do the same thing, he did it. That was practice facilities. That was the the VMAC that they bought a new thing that helped with recruiting. It flying on a charter plane instead of other things. So it doesn't have to always be salary. It's how you run your organization and you definitely just don't get that impression that the Mariners are run that way. Uh, was it Kevin Mather, the the guy that had the, the stuff mm-hmm. come out in spring training? And that just kind of confirmed, I think, what everybody knew about how shitty this ownership group is. And um, 
it's it's a re- it, it stinks. It really stinks to be a fan of a team for you know. I've been watching the Mariners, God, like thirty years, and you know since the Phil Bradley days, and cheered for them when they've been terrible. And it's just it's really frustrating to have an ownership group that does not value that enough to actually put their best into the team. Do you think Paul Allen, if he was given a realistic opportunity to purchase that the Mariners, would he have considered it? I don't think so. No, I mean the Seahawks were already a bit of a stretch. He likes he liked football, and so he was open to that. But that was largely a philanthropic thing that he did. Even there, he had to feel like football was a sport that he cared about. Baseball was not a sport for him. So I think mm-hmm. you'd have to find somebody else who has a little passion for the game um mark cuban just sold the uh the mavs maybe he's interested in uh, he's got some cash on hand yeah well brian how has oh go ahead lyle i was gonna say brian before we get into a little bit about you and maybe a little bit of seahawks stuff i did want to ask about your fandom as a whole because i know for a while you were on a little bit of a hiatus and around 2021 or so you started to get more invested again so what happened was it just purely you couldn't take any more losing seasons You know, here's the thing. So I think people have a lot of ways that they approach being a fan. I've I've looked at every box score for every game the Mariners played for the last 30 years. So I've always been a fan. I've always followed them. Um, I I could talk to you about any era, like if you wanted to go in on any of the players over that time, Dustin Ackley and all those those guys. So I, I knew it was going on. I didn't like what was going on. And I thought the product on the field was unbelievably boring and it it was 20 years essentially of scoring one run a game at best at times and it was just excruciating to watch the offense for most of those years and then you know you got family and you got jobs and you got other blogs and other sports and it's like there's only so much time in the day so it used to be when I first got out of school that I would not only watch all 162 Mariner games from start to finish and have my day rest on whether or not they won. Um, But I would also play all 162 games on whatever video game of the month I was, you know, of the year I was playing. I, I, I was absolutely obsessed and it really, they just broke me of that by being a really boring brand of baseball for a long time. So, I just learned to, you know, invest where there was opportunity reason to invest. And I started liking what I was seeing. Honestly, Ty France was another part. Like I really believed in what Ty could become and was really, really bummed about what he, he did last year. But I, I thought he had Edgar light potential, um, as a, as a hitter. And, um, so yeah, I like offense. I like, I love pitching, but ultimately I want to see a strong offensive team on the field. You know, other than Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano, like there just hasn't been many highlights uh, that, that people that could really score runs. So that I think that's mostly what happened. Um, I think a lot of people assume that because you're quiet, you're not paying attention. It's just for me more not worth watching uh, three hours of, of crappy baseball. When you were playing in those games, I hope you eventually got to 162 and 0. Oh, 
almost all the time. No good. Sure. Good. So, I was say, that was a lot. That's a lot of reps. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, thankfully, my then girlfriend uh, still agreed to be my wife, uh, despite all of the time I spend on sports. So, Brian, you've spent a lot of time working in tech in your career. Your day job is working in tech, but you also have this this little side hustle called Hawk Blogger that many in the Seahawk community know of. How I mean, it uh, in something that is very different from what you do in your day to day work. How did that idea come about? What uh, what brought it to to the surface for you to want to commit all this time to covering the Seahawks independently? Yeah, it happened pretty uh, innocently. I, I I went to school, went to college for to be a sports writer uh, initially, and then found out <laughs> through experience and, and internships how little you make and how much time it takes. And uh, I was like, nah, not going to do that. And so I got into tech and tech at the time, at least, was full of people that I could have conversations about you know, intellectual discussions and product discussions and, you know, New York Times articles and things of that nature. But you bring up sporting events and a lot of eyes would glaze over and had nothing to add. So I didn't have a real outlet. My wife was not big into sports. Uh, most of my friends were in other places. So I would just kind of bring it up with other people. I'd write about it a little bit. And a friend eventually, you know, said, hey, you should start a blog. And I was like, all right. So I literally just in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep, started thinking about domain names and came up with one, started it and wrote for a few years. Almost nobody read it. I think there's maybe two readers for probably a couple years. And that was fine because at least I had a couple people to talk about Seahawks with. And then it just kind of took off. Um, I think Twitter was a big part of that. Uh, I eventually understood that I didn't really need the money because I had a full-time job and felt weird taking advertising dollars, but then realized I didn't have to keep the money. So uh, ended up turning it into a charitable uh, you know, approach. And so donated all our money that we've made from it to charity, got a bunch of great sponsors. And then the Seahawks happened to also take off um, in similar time frame. So it got to be a pretty big deal for a while. I had a podcast I was doing that whole time and I've added some more people since then to that. And uh, yeah, just been a great, great experience. Um, always a side hustle. It used to be something that nobody knew who I was uh, until people started figuring it out. And, uh, you know, over the last probably 10 years, have uh, I've kind of been out and about with it, which has been cool. I've met a lot of people around the world through it. I will say, Brian, as two people who went to school for sports journalism and TJ and I, <laughs> I fully understand why you got out. Like, we're still in it, but we understand why you got out because those early stages. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the ROI, as they say, just didn't didn't match up with me. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this, because you were talking about the podcast a little bit and how you brought some people on and how you brought more people on now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but early on. You were doing stuff with both Mina Kimes and Danny Kelly, right? Before both those guys, both of them got really big. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't want to misrepresent it. Those those two made their way. That was not at all due to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I like to think that I can recognize great work when I see it. And Mina was an investigative reporter at the time and had started doing some stuff for ESPN, the magazine. but you know, she and I 
did a number of you know season previews together danny kelly who was at field goals at the time i think brilliant dude nice guy um and, you know had done a lot for that that blog and i never saw other blogs as competition you know i i always was just looking to meet other people that cared about the hawks and so danny was great in that way um and there's other folks uh you know over the years i'm, I'm spacing on on who but uh yeah i've i've had the good fortune to have cross paths with tons of really talented people from all walks um through the blog has that been the most rewarding thing or is something else or is something else been more rewarding in terms of, of running this? I mean, there's, there's a lot of pieces of it that's been rewarded, rewarding. Uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is I love writing. And so it, it was the difference for me in terms of increasing my, the quality of my writing and my storytelling. And, and I really get a lot of pleasure out of that. And I've written about things outside of the Hawks helped me with stuff at work and i think i've just been able to convey my thoughts a lot more clearly and more compelling fashion because i was writing every day um i think that the charity aspect has been really rewarding and um has uh makes it feel like it's all for a good purpose and we've created a pretty cool community around it of like like-minded good people um that that that's been great i've met friends that are you know um through Twitter primarily, but through other fashions that I would have never otherwise met. Um, yeah. And then just the experiences, I mean, flying on the team plane, you know, getting to know fan, like players, coaches, front office, scouts, um, all sorts of people and knowing what makes them tick and, and knowing what, who they are. Um, that's all been like amazing. How'd you get on the team plane? I can't tell you that, can I? <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my follow-up, too. I was like, you were traveling on the team plane? That's pretty I wild. Yeah, the, the Super Bowl year, I flew to Indianapolis uh, with the team. And unfortunately, the team didn't win that one, so it's probably my fault. But uh, seeing seeing how they travel, I'm not allowed to talk about it. So I signed an mm. agreement to not talk about it. But but uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cool experience, once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. Well, it's too bad that season ended up so poorly, right? That game they lost in Indy. <laughs> I mean, I I went to that Super Bowl, um, had a a reader who knew someone in the NFL front office who got us terrific seats and uh, went to the next Super Bowl as well. Wasn't quite as fun, uh, but also a really cool experience. And yeah, that week in New York, was probably one of the coolest weeks uh, of any part of my sports life. And the NFC championship against the 49ers was my peak sports experience, like uh, an unbelievable experience to be there um, for that game. I was at it too. I like, I think my voice was gone by the end. So I was like 15 at the time, 16, but yeah, yeah. my voice was gone. Unbelievable, unbelievable moment. Brian, you had a, a moment over the past, I would say, couple of years that you detailed very well on your LinkedIn that I kind of wanted to bring up and, and tie into your work with Hawk Blogger. And I'm curious. So you essentially retired for a year, took some time off to flush out your thoughts of of what you really wanted to do. And a lot of this was on your professional life, leaving Adobe to going to where you currently are right now. Did anything change in your thought process from that of how you're going to work with Hawk, Hawk Blogger in your life and 
new ideas you might have come out out of that or, or something along those lines? Yeah, it, it, that was a really unexpected turn. I, 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 I entered the workforce with a very old fashioned idea that I might work for the same company for my whole career. Like I, I valued that kind of long term you know, relationship between employer and employee. And, and I could have done that. So it was definitely my choice to, to not do that. And that was a bit of a surprise. I also didn't expect to really retire during that time. I had some, I was actually going to work at golf's another passion I had, and I was going to go work for a, a golf company that, that built some tech and combined some passions. And honestly, like it seemed like the best possible thing. And when I wasn't excited about it, I realized I just needed to take some time off. And I'm glad I did. 100% glad I did. But I, I'm super old, but I'm not old enough to be retired. None of my friends are retired. My wife's not retired. <laughs> my kids are still in school. So there's not. A, it starts to be a little bit less that you can do with yourself uh, in that situation. And I thought about writing books. I thought about, you know, creating other um, content, not about the Seahawks, not about sports. Um, I think there's a lot around leadership and management and development and some of the stuff I do in in the tech world that I feel like I could offer some help on. Um, But as of yet, I chose not to. A lot of that just felt, I don't know. I, I like working as part of the team. I grew up playing sports. I like teams. And doing something on my own felt like too isolating. So end of the day, wanted to get back into actually leading teams and hiring and developing people and building great products. So really, really uh, excited to do that at, at the company I'm at now. That's all really cool. I really think it is. If I had one final question for you, and I feel like this is a good final question before we wrap this up. Sure. As somebody who is a recurring guest to this podcast, what are the adrenaline levels like when you were hosting your show with Softy all those years? <laughs> Softy's great. I mean, I'll tell you this. One of the things I've learned that I didn't expect in, in doing all this is that it's not the players and it's not the coaches that have the big egos. It's the media members. The media members haven't really accomplished like these are people on this field are doing things that like a percentile a fraction of percentile of the people in the world could do people in media for the most part are not doing things that are that complicated or that hard they just have had some good fortune and they're you know professional and they've done their job well but so are a lot of people but a lot of these folks really think they're hot shit and that's been disappointing Softy is the perfect counter to that. Softy is exactly who he is. You see him, you see people come up to him in person and just harass him, like end up over, over and a bunch of people come up to him. He has patience. I've seen him, uh, and it's close to my heart. I've, there's, there's disabled fans that come up to him that he is super patient with and generous with and not at all patronizing. Uh, he's just, he's just a good dude. Like, and I've, I've learned to really respect he is just who he is and it's a lot so you know like it's not for everybody but um i have a lot of respect for how he's he's kind of kept his feet on the ground throughout it all or at least he's the same person for everybody and uh i think that's not common uh in the entertainment industry 
he is one of our favorites. Like, like we've had a bunch of amazing guests on, and, and you've been great throughout this whole interview, but we we love talking to Softy. If you want a quick little funny story, we had him on like very early in the season. I said I wasn't all that heartbroken about missing out on a shortstop, and he was furious about it. Like on the podcast, <laughs> he's he's ripping me and he's screaming at me. So then we had him back on six months later after JP had the season he did, and I was like, So Softy, like I'll just start like this. If you want to throw out an apology, you've got a space to do it. And he's like, Is this the whole reason you had me on? You had me on just to try to rip me on your podcast and all so he like you said he is who he is that's that's great well for what it's worth i still would side with him we should yeah. decide to shortstop and move jp anyway <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, and i kind of took responsibility for it. i was like well you're right i just wanted to see if i could if i could get an apology out of you softy but he wouldn't bite on it so well, he, hope. I, I don't know where you I, got you guys are probably uh, at least I think I see a, a Blazers hat on on TJ. So I don't know where you guys are about the game on Friday. But um, I know Softy certainly will be feeling some kind of way depending on how that game goes. Oh, yeah. I TJ works down. Yeah, in Corvallis. yeah I was going to say his blood pressure is probably going to be through the roof on uh, on Friday. Yeah, no, no dog in the fight there for me, but <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he'll enjoy it. This yeah. that's what they've been working towards. I, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. It'd be a shame to go undefeated and lose it in the last game. Yeah, great. Well, this has really been awesome, Brian. We really have enjoyed sitting down with you for the last half hour to get to talk to you a little bit about the Mariners, a little bit about your journey. So this has been a blast, and hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Lyle, TJ, it's been great. Appreciate you having me on. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Brian Nemhauser. He was great to talk to. Really interesting guy. Seattle sports personality who does a lot of Seahawks stuff. But as you can tell from the interview, he's certainly a Mariners guy. And he's certainly rooting along just like all the rest of us are. So we enjoyed getting to talk to him. Hopefully it won't be the last time we talk to him because we thought he was a really great guest. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so wherever you get your audio side of the pod. Make sure to follow the show, download our episodes, leave us a five-star review if you go do that. Those reviews and downloads, they help us out a bunch. And then watch on YouTube too. You can like, comment, subscribe over there, full video side of the podcast on YouTube. And you can follow us on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at MarineLayerPod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.